You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Danver Statement summarizes the need for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and serves as an overview of our core beliefs. This statement was prepared by several evangelical leaders at a CBMW meeting in Danvers, Massachusetts in December of 1987. In this podcast series, we are walking through the Danvers Statement line by line as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the President of CBMW. And in this episode, we're actually getting into the affirmations of the Danvers Statement. Previously, we were looking at the purposes and the rationale, but I think if as people think about the Danvers Statement, they really are thinking about the affirmations. So here we are in affirmation number one, which says, based on our understanding of biblical teachings, we affirm the following, quote, both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, equal before God as persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. And then there's two references here, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and Genesis 2, 18, which ground that affirmation. Yeah, it's really interesting that it doesn't say both man and woman were created in God's image. It says very specifically that both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, which means that the authors of the Danvers Statement really thought that it was important that we understand that there was an historical Adam and Eve. And honestly, if you don't accept an historical Adam and Eve, a lot of what we believe about what a human being is anthropologically kind of goes out the window. Um, you really do have to have this grounded in this first man and this first woman. Otherwise, you open up the door to um, all different kinds of interpretations of what it means to be a, a person. I, I remember Megan DeFranza um, wrote a, a book some years ago. It was in 2016. It was titled, um, oh, help me. Um, I'm not going to be able to It'll come there. to me in a minute, but she, it was a book on intersex. Mm. And um, she wrote, she she wrote in there that Adam and Eve, um, I, I'm not even sure what she held in, in terms of the historicity of Adam and Eve, but she still never, at least as literary figures, was pointing to them as not paradigms of human difference, but progenitors of human difference, and that there could be all different kinds of other differences beside a binary difference. And um, <clears throat> is the book... Sex difference in Christian theology. That's it. That's it. Male, sex female, difference. and intersex in the image of God. That's it. Sex difference in Christian theology. Thank you, Google. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really uh, interesting book, important book, one that I disagree with vehemently. <laughs> but um, she she was making a, a case there um, for you know the difference between Adam and Eve uh, being something that could generate more differences than just male female difference. But what's interesting here, my point is, is that. Um, there, there are implications if you don't take Adam and Eve to be historical figures. Hmm. If, if, you're, if you're reading, for example, um, uh, Genesis to be mythological, then you're going to believe that there would have been a first human being, some sort of a hominid at some point becomes a human being, uh, but you don't believe in these first human beings. You don't believe Adam is first and that every single nation of man kind comes down from this one this one person. And so if you don't have that the Bible's depiction of development as as real, then all kinds of things become possible at that moment. But it it does start off with saying both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, which is a an historical statement of uh, of conviction that there was an Adam and Eve at the very beginning. 
which is paradigmatic for our understanding of of humankind, right? M- mankind as male and female. There's one man, one woman, which actually sets up the natural family, marriage. Everything's based on that understanding of Adam and Eve as human people created by God in the beginning. Yes, special creations of God, not the consequence of some sort of evolutionary process. They were special creations of God. So it says here, both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, obviously a reference to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which we'll quote and we want to talk about. But then it says, equal before God as persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. I know when I've taught on complementarianism, um, one really succinct way to sum up what we believe is men and women are equal yet different. And I like that emphasis because we talk about men and women being equal, and then we talk about them being different. And really the equality is grounded in this concept of the divine image and the difference, the fact that there are, that God created them male and female. I would, I've even said before, I don't know if you agree with this, Denny, that the accent seems to be in Genesis 1 on the equality of the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And then Genesis 2, the accent seems to be on the difference, although there's equality and difference in both chapters. Yeah, the difference that's accented in chapter 2 is more their social relatedness. Mm-hmm. You know, that Adam is going to emerge as the head in this relationship, and and the woman's going to be the helper. So it's, it's not that... Um, it, that that's really the accent in chapter two. Chapter one is emphasizing what they have in common as image bearers, although it does reference the fact that they come in two distinct genres biologically, right? So right. there is some distinction in chapter one, but it's not really focused on the social roles that, uh, you know, flow out of their, their personhood. It's this, uh, you know, sexual complementarity that's there. But it does say, first of all, that they were, Adam and Eve were created in God's image, which means that they are reflecting God in some kind of a unique way. So all through all the rest of the six days of creation, um, God is making all of these uh, things and places, and uh, all everything is new. And throughout those six days, it says that God's looking at what he's made, and he sees that it's good. But it's only when he gets to the creation of the male and the female does he say that it's very good there in the last uh, verses of chapter 1 in Genesis 1. And so there, it's very clear that the male and the female are the climax of the creation. And you can tell that it's the climax not only just because it comes at the end, but also because it says that they alone were created in the image of God. So all of the rest of creation is good, but nothing in creation reflects God like this first man and this first woman. Now, Adam and Eve aren't the names yet. All we get is male and female, okay? But chapter 2, we get the names. But this this first man and first woman are reflecting him in a special way. Now, there are, there are rafts of theological literature out there that talk about what the, the divine image consists of. And um, we could have a, a, probably a whole separate podcast uh, just on that uh, that question. But let's just, sufficient to say for now, they are reflecting in a very unique way God in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's manifest in their the commission that he gives to them, which is to rule over the world. And so there's this image bearing that's going on that happens with them that doesn't happen with any other created being. So when it says that they're created in God's image, equal before God as persons, that means that they're equally created in God's image. And so even though the man comes first, 
and there is a kind of primogenitor thing going on there, he is not more or less in the image of God than Eve. Likewise, Eve, even though being made second, she's not more or less in the image of God than Adam. Um, they are both uniquely and individually created in the image of God. And it's because of that image that they both have equal value and dignity. It's why if um, if if um, a woman gets killed by another person, um, there's it's not a different penalty than if a man gets killed because they're equal in their value. Their lives are equal to one another. And the Genesis chapter 1 is asserting that in no uncertain terms. So Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make man, we should note that that word man is Adam, the name for Adam, in our image after our likeness. And Peter Gentry actually wrote a great article on those two words, image and likeness, Selim and Demuth, um, reflecting that there's actually a couple things going on in the image, the fact that we represent God to creation, and we represent creation to God. I think there's two things going on there. But then he says, and let them have dominion, them being the man and the woman, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then Genesis 1.27, so God created man, again, we've got Adam, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Yeah, and Adam is that generic Hebrew term for humanity, for right. humankind. So he's creating mankind. That's what Adam refers to. Adam, the male, is going to be named after mankind. That's right. That's going to be his name. It's going to be Adam, which just means mankind, but he is a male human being. But here, that's not what's going on. This is a generic masculine expression referring to all of humankind. All of humankind is 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 created in two distinct genres, the male and the female. And so Danvers says that equal before God is persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. So there are distinctions between the male and the female that are spelled out right here in these verses. And um, you can see that a little bit just even in the naming of uh, the names, the titles, male and female. I'll let you elaborate on that. Yeah, so uh, I know we're getting into the Hebrew weeds here a little bit, but it's fascinating to see that um, in the original Hebrew, the term for male is zakar, and the term for female is nakiba. And um, it, the, uh, the Hebrew lexicons, the, the grammars, they, they show that this word for male actually has reference to the biological structure of a male. Um, it's etymologically related to words that mean sharp or pointed, Obviously, we're not going to connect these dots, but referring there to, uh, to masculine, uh, to male features. And the same is actually complementarily uh, reflected in a complementary way uh, with nakiba, uh, which means something like pierced one. And um, in other words, when, when God is making them male and female, uh, it's in a particular reference to the way that he's organized their bodies for reproduction and the way that they fit together, the differences not only are just different, but they're complementary. Yeah, Zakar and Nakiba are have etymological meanings that refer to, well, that are obviously being connected to anatomical realities, anatomical differences between male and female with respect to their their reproductive systems. So it's interesting because you will hear a lot of people today say that, you know, the difference between male and female is more about what's going on uh, between a person's ears than what's going on with their reproductive organs. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. 
Um, the Bible does not say uh, that you know what you think about yourself is the most ultimate true reality about yourself. And the reason is because what we think about ourselves can often be wrong, right? Uh, but what the Bible is saying is that male and female is not about, first of all, what we think about ourselves. It's about how our bodies are organized for reproduction. And it's anybody can see this, even if you don't have a Bible in your hand, you can tell that human beings come in two distinct genres that are meant to come together into a, a, a reproductive pairing. And that's what Genesis is confirming. What, what everybody can see in nature, Genesis is just affirming that this is, was, was God's original design, that uh, a, a, a male is a, a person whose body is organized for reproducing as a father, that a female is a person whose body is organized for reproducing as a mother. That's the basic difference between uh, male and female. And according to Danvers, it says that this has distinct, they're distinct in their manhood and womanhood. Mm -hmm. Now, manhood and womanhood are more comprehensive terms than male and female. So male and female refer to biological realities. Manhood and womanhood refers to the fact that we are whole persons who are oriented in certain directions because of our maleness and femaleness. There are going to be callings on our lives that are distinct, um, things that God wants us to do and to be as we relate to one another based on whether or not we're a male or female. And so manhood and womanhood sort of comprehends all of those roles and callings that the Bible is going to speak to. Well, we see that as we're going to get into the affirmations that Genesis 1, those terms male and female are used, but then you go to Genesis 2, those terms are dropped. It's not Zakar and Akiba anymore. It's actually Ish and Isha, the man and the woman. But you're not left wondering, well, which one's the, the man? It's obviously the male. And which one's the, the woman? It's obviously the female. Um, and that is by design, God's creation as a, a binary there in Genesis 1 and 2, reflected also, we should say, throughout all creation. Uh, the animal kingdom coming in pairs, male and female. I think that's actually what's going on partly when God parades the animals in front of Adam. He shows them two by two. He names them all, and he's found wanting of a, a helper that is fit for him, one that goes to him. We're going to get in the, into that in later affirmations. But this is what we see at the very beginning, complementary design. That's right. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. We should also note that there is a curriculum that we wrote uh, regarding these issues, male and female, he created them. If you're interested in learning more, go to Christian Focus to look at that and purchase that for your church. Or you can go to Amazon and find that curriculum written by myself, Colin Smothers, Denny Burke, and our co-author, David Clausen with the Family Research Council. Thanks for listening.